Good morning, and amen. Thank you, Benji, for that song. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I I hope we were uh, thinking about the words as we sang. A beautiful picture, a request. That is why we gather here this morning, to be made perfectly whole. And it's it's through faith, it's through a complete sacrifice, through, through many things. And he can make us whole. It gives me hope. It is good to be with you this morning. The journey west was blessed. Um, as we come to Waterworks, my, my daughters are always excited to see Grammel and the ants. And then I got here, and there's another family that's excited to see Grammel and gathered around. So it's good to see them gathered around you, Mary Jane. I would like to start off with a question this morning. I have an argument uh, to make, and I would like to see where uh, you all stand so I know what, where to, to, to preface and, and bring my argument here this morning. So, quickly, if I may, I would like to get a vote. If you were to compare life to something, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two, two options to pick from, which would you pick? If you were to compare life to a pen or a chalk, which would you compare it to? Give you a couple seconds to think about that. I've had more time to think about it. But if you were going to to compare life to a pen or to chalk, which would you pick? Raise your hand if you say the pen. Raise your hand if you say chalk. I like this. About 50-50. This would create for some good discussion. I'll tell you, I'll tell you where I come out uh, at the end, so bear with me. Have you ever gone on a, on a hike or walked with somebody, or maybe you were following somebody driving to a destination, and you started questioning where the leader was taking you? If you were to stop and say, are, we sh- are you sure you're on the right track? Did you ever ask that question? I I don't know about you, but I did. Sometimes when we're on a journey and we're following somebody, we ask, okay, are you sure you know where you're going? At other times, you have confidence in the leader. And you say, oh, yes, I trust them. They'll take me to where we need to go. As I think about a journey and, and life, There's one man that I've been admiring lately in the Bible that has stood out to me that I want to to pattern my life after. And it's not Jesus. It's a man who lived a life of faith. If you were to pick a character from the Bible who lived a life of faith, who would you pick? Abraham. That's my man. Abraham. And as I think about Abraham, I have another question for you. Did Abraham's belief, or maybe I could use the word faith, or his actions save him? Did Abraham's belief or his actions save him? How would you answer that question? Both. So they go together. Come with me to Acts, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 4. 
Come with me to Romans chapter 4. And in here we have Paul talking about the faith of Abraham. And what shall we say then, Romans chapter 4 verse 1, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, maybe I can call those actions what he did, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. In other words, what he was, to, was he to glory in his actions and what he did? Verse 3, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So Abraham's, I think what I, hear, what I see here is Abraham's faith is what saved him. And then, yes, we could argue both because his actions followed his faith. He had an active faith, if I can say that. Again, uh, turn with me back uh, to Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, again, Abraham is mentioned. And it's and, and again here, Paul is talking to the Galatians. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath betwitched you that you should not obey the truth? We were talking about truth in the Sunday school lesson this morning. Then he continues on, are you foolish? Uh, verse, then jumping down to verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, you could also put in the word faith here, as Abraham had faith in God, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So what I see again and again is Abraham's faith is what set him on the right path, sent him to the right destination, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and his actions followed, which gave him an active faith. Hebrews 11 do you ever count the characters uh, that uh, are brought up there? That faith is modeled? Did you ever count up how many verses it talks about each character? Go through Hebrews 11 sometime and just go down through. And it, it gives about a verse to each character, roughly. One or two maybe for some of them. And then it gets to Abraham. Guess how many? Eight verses. It spends eight verses talking about the life of Abraham. What I see is God was holding up Abraham as a model of faith, of active faith. And so this morning, my title is Active Faith. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, it says, When the Son of Man cometh back, shall he find faith on the earth? And the question, as we look at the life of Abraham this morning, the question I want each of us to ask ourselves is when God comes back, when Jesus comes back, will he find faith in me? Is faith evident in my life now? Am I living a life of active faith? And as I look at the life of Abraham, I want us to see his faithfulness. So we take steps of active faith. I am convinced our life needs to be full of steps of active faith. So is faith evident in your life? When Jesus comes back, will he say, that man, that lady lived a life of faith? And as I think about the life of Abraham, as I, as I observe it, it gets me excited. And so I want to inspire us this morning. So come back with me to Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start. And my goal for the message this morning is just to observe what Abraham went through, the things he experienced, 
And may it inspire us. And at the end, we're going to look at three steps of active faith. So come with me to Genesis chapter 12. Anybody know what happens in Genesis chapter 1 to 11? Uh, shout out some things, if you, if you would. Flood, Tower of Babel, creation, fall of man. Did, did God speak to people on the earth in this time? Yes. And as I observe God speaking to the earth, uh, to people on the earth, why was he speaking to them? Most times it was a reaction, not a reaction, a response to how people were acting on the earth. What do we see? The creation, Adam and Eve. God comes down, he says, Adam and Eve, you disobeyed me. And he sends them out. They go out and the earth becomes deceitfully wicked. And he go calls Noah. Noah, the people, the, the world that I've created is awful. Build an ark. I'm going to destroy it. God's responding. And then we have the Tower of Babel. The people, again, think they can be like God and they build a tower. What I see in Genesis 1 through 11 is God responding and showing man that he cannot do it by himself. Observe those chapters sometimes. Man cannot do it by himself. And finally here in Genesis chapter 12, which I, I observe as a seed that is to come for to now and for the children of Israel, the nation of Israel that is to come. God plants a seed in the life of Abraham. And that is what we observe here. God starts acting. God starts speaking. And he uses the life of Abraham to do so. So what do we see? Genesis chapter 12. The Lord comes to Abraham and he says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless. Those who curse, I'm going to curse. So Abraham prayed about it for two years and saved up his money. No. What does verse 4 say? So Abram departed. Now, I don't know what the context is between verse 3 and 4. I, I, I don't know what that time frame is. But the way the text is given alludes to the fact that it was immediately. He got up, he prepared, and he went. I see a step of active faith. When God came knocking on Abraham's door and he says, do this, Abraham responded immediately. Another interesting thing is, what do we see in verse 4? As the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Do we see God telling Abraham to take Lot with him? No. And maybe God told him to. I don't know. I question that he did. So another thing I do not see given here is that Abraham spent some time deciding, well, who should I take with me? He just up and took Lot. Another question, was it a good thing for him to take Lot? As I look ahead at what is to come, I question. I question, I, Abraham, why? Imagine the peace you would have had, just you and your family, but you decided to take Lot. And I don't know the context around that, but I do know that Abraham responded to God saying, move out. And he went and he said, oh, oh, I'm taking Lot with me. And he did. Sometimes I, we look back at life and maybe sometimes question the, the choices, the decisions that we made. But Abraham acted in faith. 
And I think God used it. I know God used it. Jump down to verse 7. And the, uh, Abraham passed through the land, and he came into the land of the Canaanites. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham, and he said, All right, Abraham, you are here. You're at the land. You journeyed. I am going to give you this land, and I'm going to make your seed. I'm going to give you this land to your seed. And what is Abraham's response as he enters this land? At the end of verse 7. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Another thing that is evident in Abraham's life is he continually returns to the altar. When he got to the land, he didn't start building right away, his houses and his tents. Instead, he built an altar to the Lord of worship, a sign of active faith. And then verse 10, there's a famine in the land. So he heads to Egypt. I don't know if God told him to go to Egypt. So again, there's, he took, he's taking steps. He's taking action. He's not sitting around. I don't, I don't know again if God told him, but evident God, uh, Abraham is taking steps. He heads to Egypt. He's on his way to Egypt, and he says, Whoa, whoa, I got a beautiful wife. They're going to want her. And if I tell them she's my wife, they're going to kill me so they can take her. So he goes to Sarah, and he says, Hey, Sarah, um, you say you're my sister. So they head to Egypt, and they take her in. And Abraham lies. Yeah, it's just my sister. The Egyptians take her in, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh. And Pharaoh called Abraham before him. He said, why'd you lie to me? What, what's up with this? And he sends him out. And where does he go? He goes back to the land. Back to the land God had given him. I asked, why, Abraham? Why would you lie about that? I thought you were a man of faith. Men of faith take active steps, but sometimes they are wrong. Where did he go when he got back to the land? He went back to the altar. Verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. And Abraham went out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him. And Abraham was very rich in cattle. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel into the place where his tent had been at the beginning. And verse 4, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. I see a man of faith who, took, who made a wrong decision. But he went back to the altar. That's where he went. So he heads back to the altar. Now, in chapter 13, we see they settle in back in the land. And Lot has his family and his, and his animals. And they're growing. Abraham has his family and his animals. And they're growing. And in the land that they have, they can't get along. So, yes, Abraham, way to be a model of faith. You step up and you're a peacemaker. Abraham steps up and he goes to Lot in chapter 13. He says, Lot, all right, we need to separate. Let's come to this, come to this mountaintop. You can pick whichever land you want. And we know where Lot picked. He picked towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's left with the other chunk. Do you ever think Abraham looked back on that decision and said, why did I let Lot choose? Abraham was in a much better place to stand up against Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was vulnerable. I don't know. I question. But I see through it all, God used it. Abraham wasn't sitting around. He was taking active steps. Abraham went back to his land. And there, he built an altar again. In the end of chapter 13, the Lord comes to Abraham and says, See this land? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless you. 
God makes another promise. As he settles into his land in chapter 14, he gets news of Lot. He's in trouble. I don't know, if I was Abraham, I would say, oh, Lot, you chose to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Tough luck. You chose that. A man of faith does not do that. A man of faith stepped up. He took action. He gathered, he had his own army. He gathered his own army together, and he went to get Lot to bring him back. Lot probably didn't deserve it. I don't know. But he took action. He went and got Lot's army. or He went and recovered Lot and his, his family. Abraham and his army brought them back. And they meet up with Melchizedek. And when he returns, Abraham ties to God through Melchizedek, the high priest. And we could spend a lot of time talking about that. And he gives back everything. Abraham doesn't keep anything for himself. He just wants to give it all. He says, I don't need it. A man of faith takes action and doesn't require to be paid, reimbursed for it, is what I see. That's chapter 14. Chapter 15, the God again comes to Abraham and he says, he speaks and says, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham comes before God and says, excuse me, God, um, I'm childless and you're to give me a, a lot of, a lot of uh, seed to come? C can I use Eliezer? He's in my house. He's a good steward in my house. Can we just use him instead? No, God says, I'm going to give you a son. Just be patient. And then there's a covenant with the dead animals, an interesting symbol that was used in the, in the Old Testament times where they would make a path of, of dead animals and the, the two parties would go down the middle and shake hands and meet on it. So God, had, God and Abraham had a covenant. Chapter 16, we're observing again a man who many times in the New Testament was referred to as a man of faith. And we're observing what a life of faith looks like. The next chapter is sad. In this life, this active faith that Abraham portrayed, Sarah comes to him and says... Abraham, I'm getting old. We need to have a we didn't even have a child yet. Just use my servant. Let's use our servant Hagar. Going unto her, and we can have a child with her. I don't see Abraham going to the altar. I see Abraham saying, "Okay, let's go for it." And Abraham had a son with Hagar. I question, how's God going to use this? Can God use it? A man of faith has made a mistake, has chosen a wrong step. What will God do? Chapter 17 comes. Abraham's old. God appears to him. He says, hey, Abraham, I'm still going to give you a son. By the way, I'm going to change your name. He changed Abraham's name to Abram. That was Abram to Abraham. And also changed Sarai to Sarah. And again, God gives him the covenant and says, I'm still going to be with you. And yes, I will not use, and no, I will not use Ishmael as your son, as the promise that I'm going to give you. But it's okay. He's going to have his people group. And what I see in this, God did not come to Abraham and says, all right, I'm done with you. He could have. 
He could have, I don't know, sent something to destroy Abram right there. But he observed that Abram was taking act, steps of faith. And he used even the wrong actions for his glory. And God promises not to use Ishmael. And he says, no, but in, it, because of your choice, for the rest of forever, there's going to be enmity between your seed and Ishmael's seed. And today, that is still happening. The Muslims, in life, sometimes you hear people complaining about things. Oh, I'm, I'm busy. I'm working too much. I'm whatever it may be. If that is the case, what steps are you taking? And sometimes the steps seem unclear, but all God cares about is the little steps. So steps is a sign of active faith. Number two, seeds. Small things make a big difference. Small things make a big difference, and God starts, always starts with a seed. Here he came to Abraham, and as a result of Abraham living a life of faith, it resulted in the nation of Israel because of one man living a life of faith. God always starts with something small. So we don't need to see the big picture. Anybody know what the smallest seed is? One of the smallest ones. It's referred to in the Bible. The mustard seed. Mustard seed is so small. And God, in the New, in, in the New Testament, Jesus used the mustard seed in reference to faith. All you need to have is faith like a mustard seed. That's where God starts. That's what God uses is seeds in faith. And the little signs you show of faith can have an impact on others. Yesterday I was setting, uh, we're working at a house project, and so we tried to set some concrete in February, and it wasn't setting well. So uh, me and my partner came back to our house to grab some coffee, and my little daughter is there. She came up to me and she whispered in my ear. She said, pray to God to help set the concrete. In her little mind, she knew, Dad, duh, just pray about it. Brothers and sisters, little seeds, little prayers through life are a foundation for a life of faith. Little prayers of faith. When you don't know the end, but you ask God, God uses seeds to build a life of active faith. And number three, storms. Again, we're talking about what does active faith look like. When hard times come, we feel muddled. You ever use that word muddled? When you ever not sure what to do? Ugh, you just feel all muddled. You don't, even, you don't even know which step to go, which step to take, which direction to go. You don't know what to do. Maybe sometimes we feel like uh, the bird. Anybody know which bird puts their head in the sand? I think it's the ostrich. They actually burrow a hole and put their nest in the sand. Sometimes they'll sit there with their head in the sand. Sometimes I want to be like the ostrich. Just put my head in the sand. Don't do that. Don't be like the ostrich. Now back to my argument. Which do you think I'm going to choose? Chalk or the pen? Here's what I see in the chalk. The chalk is one 
piece of matter. Now, you could, I did uh, grab a little blue chalk, so you could argue that there's a little bit of blue dye in here. But chalk is one matter, harvested and packed together, and you use it as a writing device. A pen is not one piece. It is multiple pieces together. You got the, the little chrome cap. You have a plastic holder. Inside, you got a plastic tube of ink. And there's a metal piece on the end that writes it. And for all the pieces to work, or for the pen to work, all the pieces need to work together. When you click the pen, then you can write. As I think about life, I think about... You ever hear the concept of writing a story? That's why I use the analogy of a chalk and a pen. You could use different analogies. We're writing a story. And I'm going to vote for the pen. Because of this, there's many different parts. And in life, when we get to the hard part, maybe the ink gets splattered everywhere. What does this matter? Why am I here in life? But you know what? All the different parts packed together in life is what make it beautiful. It's what makes it work. We need the good times and the bad to set us straight. Another argument you could make is that as you're writing your story, can you erase what you wrote in your life? No. But God can circle back and use those scriptures, or those scribbles, to make a beautiful masterpiece. He can. Now I'd love to hear your argument about the chalk. I shared this at Myerstown and it was great to, uh, to hear the, the uh, thoughts that they had and which comparison they wanted to use. But life is like a pen, is my point this morning. As we get to the storms, remember it's all the parts coming together. It's not just one part. It's a whole bunch of different parts coming together. Remember that in the storm. Active faith. When we get to the storms, we remember that faithfulness is what will get us through. Just do what you're supposed to do. Do what you know to do. Do the small things. And the small things in the storm will lead to a life of active steps through whatever you're facing. Maybe it's just getting up and, you know what, I know I'm supposed to have my daily devotions. Maybe it's just simply putting your clothes away at night. Maybe it's just staying organized. Or getting up at the same time every morning when we feel muddled. Having little things. Faithfulness is what's going to carry us through the storm. That is a sign of active faith. So is active faith evident in your life? Are you taking steps? Are you planting little seeds to build faith? And when the storms come, are you faithful? I see that as evident in Abraham's life. And I observe culture today, I see us living less by faith. And I see us living more in comfort. We have a lot of resources at our hands. And it's hard to take steps that we don't know what's going to come out of it. And faith is taking steps even when we don't know the end. Hebrews 11, chapter one, or verse 1. Substant, uh, 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Are you living a life of faith? When Jesus returns, will he describe your life as that of active faith? Are you taking steps? Are you asking God to show you what to do next? Do hard things for him. Are you planting little seeds to build faith? And what's your response in the storm? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and in your word revealing the lives of so many who have gone before who have set a model of what faith looks like. And I don't know what my brothers and sisters here are facing or what decisions they're facing, but I pray that as they lead their lives and their families, may they set little stones, stepping stones of faith. Stepping out of comfort to do things for you. And not taking steps of seemingly faith that just are to benefit ourselves, but steps of faith that benefit your kingdom. May we be taking steps May we be planting seeds, and may we be responding actively in the storms. Thank you, dear God, for what you've given us. Take us from here. Help us to be a blessing to those we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen.